Office Hours 14 coming at you. How are we doing this one? Five, five, four. 14. Cinco, cinco, cuatro. Welcome, Brendan. Welcome to you. Thank you. You doing pretty good? You know what I've been like? Actually having like these weird, um, like hypersensitivity crashes to like carbs lately. Ooh. Like, I, like just during the work day, like, you know, it, I'll, and I'll tell you right off the bat what it is. Hit me. You know, when you just decide that like you're going to have a slice of cake on your lunch. <laughs> Big <shoot>. flex. <laughs> Dude. Dude, at like two o'clock, like I might as well just like stop working and be asleep because I'm useless. I was going to say, you need to crawl into bed at that point. <laughs> yeah. Um, so aside from those little uh, little crashes, I'm doing great. I could eat, but I'm doing great. What's the cost like benefit analysis of that? Like is the cake worth it, you think? 100%. Yeah. I because was I am... Say- beyond ecstatic putting that in my mouth oh yeah and that costco cheesecake stupid good (laughs) unreal (laughs) (laughs) i'm glad that uh you at least know the source of your sleepiness in the afternoon and oh yeah you're fully accepting of it that's a good thing that's right yeah i i dug that hole i will sit in it hell yeah I'll join you sometime. All right. Perfect. <laughs> so, haven't even posted the episode we're about to talk about, but Josh Ackerman. Yeah. Who is he? Umish. Umish, professor of psychology. A lot of different research, like kind yeah, of all very over the place. eclectic. Yeah. His research. Really cool. Yeah. So, he's done a lot of research with evolutionary psychology with marketing, with behavior and decision-making. Um, and he was actually a professor at MIT as well in the marketing department before becoming a professor of psychology and marketing, I believe, at University of Michigan. Yep. So, Brennan, after having that conversation, what are some of your thoughts? I've been really digging on the whole, like, evolutionary psychology, biology stuff. Like, it's just something I think about all the time in the context of did we used to have no choice but to do things a certain way Mm -hmm. you know like has society and technology created a new way of doing something that we never would have been able to and now downstream we're finding problems to that um so I, i do that with all kinds of stuff like when i'm just trying to figure out like is this the best way to be doing something um like whether that be like you know, it can be a workout, it can be my food choices and eating mm-hmm. style, it can be the way I'm trying to understand if like the society and my behavior within the community that I'm operating in is accurate to what would have been like the most beneficial. Um just thinking like, is this the most human nature, like natural ingrained way of doing things? So that's the type of stuff I've been on my mind. And then... Um, well, let's stay on that one first. Okay. Because I think there's a lot there. There's so much there. And I think we both really like this topic. Yeah. And I think what we're finding with like exercise and diet is that like we just need to go back to the basics in general. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's so crazy. Like I was just sharing with you a little bit ago how, um, you know, if if we were back to like our hunter gatherer ways as an example, right? We would have eaten meat when we hunted nose to tail. We would not have let a single thing go to waste. We would have had everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a study, and this was a few years ago, and I'm re. I'm citing or quoting this study secondhand. So I did not go or thirdhand, I guess you could say. I did not go look this study up. This is just the information that was relayed to me, but pretty fascinating. So they gave a collagen supplement to a few trainees who were about to go through a six minute jump roping workout. And they gave them this collagen pre workout drink mix thing. And had them do the jump roping workout. And over a period of time, they saw that um, like strength of the Achilles tendon and um, overall Achilles health improved over the time span. So essentially what they inferred from this study is that the implement collagen is the protein that our body uses to rebuild and restore uh it's commonly i think attributed to like hair nails and skin but it's also cartilage ligaments and other things that are known to be um they're the structures of a lot of major joints and muscles but they also are very well known for not having a very good blood supply so what they found in this study, and again, you know, somebody can go look this up if it seems a little fishy, but the contraction of the muscle that was attached to the ligament or the area helped move fluid throughout this, the tendons, ligaments, and cartilage. And when the collagen protein was present, it helped with promoting restoration of these, um, these areas. So that's what they found with the Achilles. And the reason I bring this up is that we look back at human evolution. And if we were eating animals nose to tail, like our millions of years of evolution was dependent upon, we would find that things like making bone broths, just eating the cartilage off of a bone when we, you know, got it out of an animal. There's, there would have been a lot of opportunities for collagen to enter our diet mm-hmm. um, and therefore would have been extremely protective of, you know, our musculoskeletal system. So thinking about the lack of collagen in the diet and how possibly, you know, some kind of decrease in the presence of collagen and the increase of certain injuries that have become very prevalent like you know i don't know how many kids in high school i knew who were drinking bone broth or having collagen peptides but i can tell you that acl tears and torn you know achilles any torn meniscus yeah all of that stuff was definitely on the rise i'm not saying it's a one-for-one thing that people should go drink collagen and think they're never going to hurt themselves (laughs) but shoot like if it's that if if it's a little bit of insurance for yourself to know that maybe you're at least providing the nutrients and the substances that are going to be required to maintain healthy ligaments tendons joints all that stuff i mean it definitely wouldn't hurt so i know that you didn't read the research article yeah. specifically but 
for the experiment was it that they had like a control group who just did jump roping and had no collagen and then i believe so yeah it was a there was a control group from the explanation i got i don't know the exact methods that they used to set up the mm -hmm. study but um but yeah that that seems like that would be make the most sense yeah you, you need to compare it to something right right but yeah that's i mean because every it sucks because i feel like this kind of stuff like supplements are getting popularized just so that they have these other benefits that people like glamorize like they're not glamorizing oh your achilles heel might be preventing or like this might be preventing some type of tear right no like this is going to grow your hair and make you look beautiful that's what yeah that's what they're telling you yeah right the accidental benefits of people who started taking collagen yeah it's just so i don't know it's so fascinating like all of this like just like taking care of your body and like again like at some point we need to tie this back into our conversation with josh ackerman but <laughs> but yeah i mean like there's so many things out there that are like the answer may very well be right in front of us we just have to be willing to like accept that what we've possibly been doing for a really long time may have been wrong mm -hmm. and like i don't know like just operating in society in a way that is uh you know more conducive to our evolution you know having smaller you know tribal type groups you know supporting each other like i don't know like it is a little controversial to talk about this but like i'm not even going to say that they have to be like gender specific roles but having a role within your community, providing something of value to the people who support and provide value back to you is a very valuable thing in a community. And it gives people a lot of, you know, positive reinforcement. It helps them develop some kind of a skill. Like, I think there's a lot, like you acquire new talents by doing this. And mm -hmm. like, um, I think there's a lot of beneficial things, like not only physically, but also psychologically to, you know, developing new skills, changing things up, you know, for children, it's like the playing multiple sports thing makes you a better, a what more well-rounded athlete. Um, there's, yeah. So we just have to like, be more willing to be like wrong, mm -hmm. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to riff on something too, that I always Hit found me. fascinating. Um, there was an anthropology expert that I listened to on a podcast and it goes back to this whole evolutionary psychology as well of he was explaining why kids just pick up and throw things mm -hmm. like it's just so natural for a kid to do that and he was like well if you think about it um as we've adapted over time we had to escape predators and these were like this. lions and tigers mm -hmm. and the only the safest way to do that that we evolved was to throw some type of rock or something from a distance because we were able to kill them from a distance. We, we can't kill them in one-to-one -one combat, right? Mm -hmm. um, unless you're just a freak, which, yeah, good like for you. Six of them out there, probably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so we've evolved to do this uh, over time because we've thrown rocks at predators to keep from a distance to keep us safe and to also provide sustenance. Mm -hmm. And it's like, wow. So something like that has been ingrained in us for so long. And of course there's probably other factors and um, that's probably not the only thing, but like it's so natural and instinctual for us. 
And a lot of us don't even think about that stuff. And then we do all these research studies and all this different type of stuff. And it comes back to like, oh yeah, maybe we do it because of this. Mm -hmm. Like maybe it's just so basic that that's why we do it. And I feel like that's what a lot of psychology turns back to, which is so funny. Yeah. Dude, like this is a fascinating point that you've brought up because like, yeah, I mean, not only have we developed, you know, we're bipedal apes. So like we are very monkey-like in our development, but we have developed, we've gone away from a more traditional like climbing style shoulder design right. to a more very, very fine motor skill shoulder design to the point where we can be lethally accurate throwing things mm -hmm. and apes cannot do that. They are not as accurate as we are. They can, I mean, they can, I'm sure they can hit stuff, yeah. but we can from, you can train yourself from a hundred, hundred yards out to hit, you know, with a spear or something dead in the chest. Look at Aaron Rodgers. I mean, like just baseball players. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Pitching a small ball to a somebody's glove. Yeah. So yeah, it's super fascinating. And even more than that, like I want to take this one step further because there's, um, there's been a lot of research on the topic of, you know, this idea of aim and how the, the word aim is like so ingrained in being a human, right? Like, um, like you're saying, throwing things and having, um, like being able to hit targets, the shoulder development, but even one step further, like the use of aim not only is used as like a, uh, like a provide sustenance for yourself, but it's also a way that people describe, you know, striving for something, being better at something and like developing yourself as a human being is like, you have to aim high. And like, so like we use this in a lot of contexts, another context that this comes up in is old ancient translations of the word sin translate directly to, to miss the mark or like wow. to have poor aim. So we think about like, what it means to be a human and what like skills and how we should think about doing things in our daily lives and aiming is an extremely important part of like um you know life like the word sin is it obviously used very heavily in like religious context but it was a word in human language prior to its um you know heavy utilization in religion and um it's just so fascinating to think that like we like everything in our life came down to aim and quality of aim and hitting targets. And like, you know, there's a, to turn this back to the psychology piece, like there's a lot to be said in human evolution about the, you know, return on investment. You could say to setting your sights on something, going out and achieving that thing and the positive reinforcement psychologically you receive from attaining mastery at something and becoming skilled and then pe being able to turn and like provide value to your tribe because you're you know more accurate with a spear or a bow and like feeling valuable and feeling like you're part of a community and you're welcomed into that community and all of these things that all kind of trace back to this idea of like you know refining your aim and like getting so yeah like from a very young age, it's ingrained in us to pick things up and throw. And that's the very beginning of us training ourselves to have this, uh, this gross motor pattern of being able to throw things mm. at targets. It's like, it's a pretty fascinating, that like is. deep dive that you can go into on how entrenched in human evolution, the idea of aiming is. Yeah. 
That is so fascinating. Yeah. And I think about how like aim is so important to our species in particular because like we can evolve. Like we can push civilization forward because mm -hmm. we have pretty big brains. Yeah. And brains that can continue to grow and potentially have microchips implanted into them. <laughs> We're getting out there. Man. Another rabbit hole. Yeah. It's getting in a early. <laughs> <laughs> no, but really, I mean, like, and even to go on, like, one another element in that is that, you know, the utilization of aim, of our precision in AIM allowed us to, you know, what a lot of people hypothesize was the way that human brains developed and began to grow and have the, um, like neural capacities that we have is because we were able to find massive amounts of food in the form of animals mm -hmm. that then allowed us to have sufficient calorie intake to expand on our physical structures physically and mentally. So we were able and specifically, you know, obviously keto is like a very like buzzwordy type of a thing, but ketones are the brain's preferred substrate so when we are starting to intake high levels of fat in our diet when we started you know killing animals large animals like megafauna for example like willy mammoths on the plains of north america absolute units just rigs of animals <laughs> we were consuming large large amounts of fat and um you know because of that we were probably utilizing ketosis as a form of energy in our bodies obviously there would be times where like you don't get a kill and you've got to be able to utilize the carbs in your environment also but just this idea of like aiming not only like is the thing that's going to take us further but without it we would not have been able to develop the way that we did because we wouldn't have had access to nutrients that were required to continue to develop as a species mm. i mean shoot and then cooking comes into play and fire and fire. Yeah. And being able to, you know, bow drills and like there's all, yeah, all kinds of technology and stuff. And then we're all the way back to Neuralink, <laughs> <laughs> which is going to solve every problem ever or exacerbate every problem. Yeah. I'd like to go with the former, but we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. 20 minutes in. Who was our guest again, Nick? <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Joshua Ackerman from University of Michigan. <laughs> No, but it's all relevant, right? Like it is like this evolutionary perspective is extremely important and like evolutionary biology and evolutionary. I I mean, shoot, like if we just use all of these ways of studying our past as a human civilization, I think we stand to learn more on how, how to fix our future than we do by studying things that we don't know about yet. You're preaching to the choir, Mike. <laughs> I mean, sing for me. <laughs> well, no, I think about this in so many different contexts, too. Like, working through past immediate experiences that are distressing is what you need to do kind of in order to overcome them. Like, not understanding what happened to us when we were younger or maybe something that happened yesterday, if I just completely ignore it, it's still going to have a pretty significant mm -hmm. impact on me. Um, and I feel like that's just like a small lens into looking at how we need to understand like some things that have happened in the past um, and go back to that and understand the utility of it because in our conversations too we've in the past three we've talked about meditation mm -hmm. and meditation isn't some new thing 
No. Like it's something that has been around for so long and people have tapped into it for so long and noted like why we need to do this and the importance and utility of it. Um, And I mean, yeah. And every, every religion. And I mean, I'm sure that there was a point where like most people, like I'm talking thousands of years ago, most people were a part of some religion, Mm -hmm. one or the other. Almost every religion, I'm I'm not going to say 100% because I don't know for sure, but almost every religion has some form of meditation built into it. Yeah. Whether we still practice it in a way that presents itself as meditation today, we don't. I think the purpose of prayer in like Christianity is a meditation that, you know, having those mantras and talking through and like asking for, I think there's a meditation practice in built into that, that we don't, we've strayed away from as like a modern society, but obviously like, you know, Buddhism is notorious for having a lot of meditation in it as a religion mm-hmm. and all, all religions have some kind of like turn to meditation and mindfulness. Yeah. And we should be doing this more now than ever. Like I'm, if you're a hunter gatherer, you have specific goals that you need to tend to, and it's probably regarding shelter, food, and water. And those are the th- like that's what your goal is throughout the day. And now today we have a flood of all right. I need to feed my animals. I need to close the windows before I leave the house. I need to turn the alarm on. I need to check my email. Like gonna make some coffee, gonna get changed, take a shower. So many different things on right. your mind. And so a busy mind is ever present. Mm-hmm. And if you think about what people have done in the past to really like settle into themselves, it's it's meditate. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Like it seems so yeah. basic. It's hard to do though. I'll admit that. Like I'm yeah. not the best at any of this stuff, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah. No, it is hard, and but like I think it's important to like observe th- what you're saying, and that is like a good section of time where you're dedicating to like really having a like internal retrospective where you are really trying to come to terms with like the things that have happened in your past, whether it's trauma, whether it's just like did you set out and achieve the things that you wanted to for the day, you know, for productivity purposes, it can be a number of things, but yeah, like if we don't, but there's a very fine line, right? Between like using it as a growth opportunity and dwelling. Oh yeah. Right. So like there, obviously like there's a important piece to that too, but holding both. Yeah. You got to hold both. Got to shout out to Dr. Brenner. I'll hold one. You hold the other. I'll do it. Beautiful. So yeah, I mean, people have to, people have to like you you don't know where you're going if you don't know where you've been that kind of a thing mm-hmm. i think that's like so true <laughs> that just generally speaks to we need to understand maybe what people were doing millions of years ago to understand what we need to do now i mean i mean shoot <laughs> yeah maybe we've already known about aliens and if we just spent some time looking back we would know what's coming what if you were an alien version of me because we're wearing the same brand of shirt? You just had to say it. <laughs> <laughs> this is like the fifth day in a row where I've showed up to somewhere Nick is and we've just by happenstance dressed eerily similar. 
<laughs> Today it's the same color branded shirt, just a different logo. Mm-hmm. The other day I was wearing gray pants and a black shirt or something like that. And you're wearing black pants and a gray shirt. We were literally the opposites. Both of them were just plain. <laughs> yeah. No design. The on other anything. day. I mean, we've had this run in with the shirt before. Oh, th- yeah. Yeah. Multiple occasions, I think. And then it's happened bef- times before that, too. Yeah, that was a mini riff. <laughs> it was. Anyway. But okay. I, I do want to talk about something specific around our conversation with Dr. Ackerman as well. Hit me. I'm just so curious as to what the behavioral implications are going to be following this pandemic. Like, how off are we still going to be incredibly weary of each other? Like, what are the social cues that we're going to keep? Mm-hmm. And what are the new ones maybe that we're going to develop? And yeah, what, like, what is socialization going to look like? Is it going to just go back to normal? I think the only real change we'll see is uh, that masks when somebody's sick are probably going to become a little more common. Not as many handshakes, or do you think we'll go back to the handshake? I think we'll go back to the handshake. Hmm. Because see, well, here's my thing, right? That's a hot topic. <laughs> here's my. Here's going to be my next, you know, rabbit hole that I'm going to go down. <laughs> I'll start digging. Yeah, grab your shovel. Um, you know, people love the, the silver bullet. Are you talking about Coors Light? <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> so, what do you call them? The, the smoothies. The CL smoothies. CL smoothies. No, I'm not talking about CL smoothies. Um, no, like people aren't gonna stop doing handshakes or wearing masks. We're just going to just ramp up our hand sanitizer use. Yeah. They just want the thing that's going to make them feel like they're doing enough to stop the thing. Okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? But really like if we get down into the nitty gritty of what people need to do, it has nothing to do with any of this that we've talked about so far it's about just being healthier (laughs) (laughs) but that's the one thing nobody's gonna do (laughs) don't be silly brendan (laughs) yeah that's the one thing nobody's gonna do right yeah like it's prevention it's it's ridiculous like vitamin d there's too much data out there that vitamin d was a had a influence on the quantity of deaths deaths vitamin d deficiency Mm -hmm. it played a factor we know this along with obesity we know this vitamin d you go outside you let sun hit your skin do it a couple times a week vitamin d need it Mm -hmm. it acts very similarly to a hormone it's vital for a ton of processes in the body you cannot synthesize it yourself or you can, but like it requires like sunlight. You can't just spontaneously produce enough vitamin D to get through your day. Right. Um, I mean, like we're in a very crazy time in society, but I got to say, you know, the two, some like they've done a lot of research on this, so this isn't going to speak to every piece of research out there, but there is research that shows some of the key contributors to longevity are muscle mass and body composition. Mm. You know, these are important things. Like, so if you are pushed into that scale, if you don't have a solid muscle mass on your body, 
which is fine. Not everybody needs it. I, I get that. We're, we're all different. But if you don't and you're into the obesity scale, I think you need a very um, like hard look at you know what is it going to take to really get yourself back into a healthy range. It's important. I want people to live a long time. Mm. I'm not saying this to like be shaming shameful of anybody. Yeah. I literally want people to live their best possible life they can. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that if food is one of those things that just really makes you happy and like you want to be able to continue to eat what you want to eat, I think that's totally fine. We just need to find other strategies to help bring you into a range that isn't going to put you at risk for some you know, bad outcomes. And it's And it sucks to say that because you don't want to say that somebody like did this to themselves with Mm -hmm. all this stuff going on. That's definitely not what I'm trying to say, but we can all always be better than the person we were yesterday. And if this is an area of opportunity for people, I think it is really something that they can do to make a big impact on their life. Yeah. We want to focus on prevention. Right. And this is the way to kind of go about it is to just really, practice healthy habits and the capstone of my soapbox that i'm currently on is that Krispy cream is giving out a free donut if you for the rest of the year if you show your vaccination card wow i mean That's obviously like we all have choices <laughs> and we all can do what we want to do but man <laughs> what are we doing <laughs> you know like how is this I get it. Krispy Kreme's a business. They can do what they see necessary to get people in the door. I hope people do not fall into the trap. Did you know that there's something like, so there was like 96% of the, of the fatalities had a comorbidity tied to them and potentially one that had to do with obesity. Mm. Um, And like the other, the other 4%, like we're not we're not eliminated because they were like healthy individuals it's because they just didn't have data on them oh so like they just didn't have data on everybody who yeah which is like again like we just need to be looking at like what are what's really going on with all of this all this information it's just but nobody wants to talk about it no yeah and i mean yeah, I was going to say, like, maybe it's, like, so soon that no, people don't want to talk about be. it yet, you know, like, because yeah. all this is still going on. But, yeah, I, I agree with you. Like, if the best treatment is prevention. And you know what? I'm actually going to even take a new position from the one I started with. Okay. As a country, the powers that be being, you know, nutritional research, the FDA, the a lot of the other organizations who are put in place to guide society towards healthy decisions and healthy options, we've done an awful job. (laughs) We have not, as a country, presented the healthy nutritional options to our public, and we have let them down as a result. Yeah, and there are like even underserved communities who suffer even more from correct this, and it's, it's terrible n- it's nobody who's in this situation is it their fault mm-hmm. i just speak from a more place of wanting to empower people to know they also have choices mm-hmm. and i think together 
you know, we can, uh, we can turn the ship around. Yeah. No more treatment prevention. That's right. That's the motto. That's right. It is but, the motto. Okay. I, I, I don't know where we were, so please take us back. Well, that's definitely part of it. I like of, of my question, but I think part of my question too is like, are people going to feel a sense of like nervousness being around right. other people just in general? Like, Oh, may, there's a stranger. Maybe my behavioral immune system is going to really be activated because I don't know where they've been or what type of contacts they've had with different types of people. So now I'm going to keep my distance when before maybe I would have passed them by and like rubbed shoulders with them and not have even cared. Like, do you think that's going to be way more present and just like a, a weariness of different types of like different social settings and different groups? I honestly don't know. My guess would be no. I think there's, you're going to have your five to 10% of people who are going to be like super vigilant now that they make sure that they don't like put themselves in a risky situation, but you're going to have 90% of people who just aren't going to give a shit. Yeah. I mean, we're seeing a lot of that already. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, I mean, spring break in Florida, I mean the whole state of Florida, right. They're not going backwards. They've already like made that claim. We're, they're not going to do it. So, it seemed like they made so they're that open. claim at the outset. <laughs> yeah, right. I was last spring break. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I mean, but to their credit, their current infection rates for being completely open in the state of Florida and us still having, you know, percentage capacities and all that, infections don't look all that different. Mm. I have not been paying attention to it's it It's like somewhere, I feel like... It's like a week or two ago, like something in like the 8,000 new cases or something like that, mm. but both in the same range, yeah. but we have completely different plans. If that's not showing the population that we don't know how we're like, I don't know. I just, I hate to pick a side. You know, I, I'm, I'm firmly not on a side. I'm on the side of, we just don't know what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. We, and not, not, that's not like a shame. We don't know what we're doing. We just, we just don't know. No. So like everybody's got to do what they feel is best for them. And that's all we, all anybody can do. But, um, you know, I do feel for the, like the, something like 75% of restaurants in LA are shut down permanently. That's wow. crazy. That's, like, yeah. and that's the stuff where it starts to be like, damn, like what do we like? That's tough. That's There's a lot of lives. I mean, how many of those were small businesses where owners now have to like go get a job at like a bank. They don't mm. want to do that. And then we're talking about this whole mental health thing. You set, you take somebody who is like blood, sweat and tears into the restaurant industry. They built a business 10, 15 years or more. And all of a sudden you have to like, they have to go find a job to get work and they're stuck doing a job that makes them miserable, but they have to do it because it takes a lot of money to start up a restaurant. Nobody, has the money nobody wants to take the risk like it's still everything's still so uncertain like you're not going to start it up now and you know you want people's mental health to be in good shape after this mm -hmm. Whew. yeah it's heavy there's a lot of factors that are going into this and yeah. i yeah well, like what are we gonna think looking back in 10 years because like we're definitely not saying that like this is a very scary thing like covid's been so damaging to so many families and it's oh, yeah. really really in sad in so many ways yeah and yeah i i don't know 
I'm <laughs> just trying to maintain myself, help some people around me, yep. uh, keep on trucking. Yep. And uh, practice some healthy habits. That's right. While I try and try to meditate more often, you know? Huh. Just a little self-care. <laughs> Apparently people have been doing it for years, Brennan. <laughs> Thousands. <laughs> Who would have thought? <laughs> Who would have thought? Did you have any other thoughts? I just think to like add one more piece to your final notes there, you know, just looking at Josh Ackerman's work too, it'll be really interesting to keep our eye on the types of research and data that he's coming into contact with as a result of like looking back on how this whole thing played out, mm -hmm. you know, because we have the opportunity to learn a ton about how to manage something like this better next time. And I hope that we do. Yeah. And I think he's going to have a big slice of that insight that we can learn from. Yeah, I think so too. And I really appreciated his like openness to that too. Mm -hmm. Like he was never, he had a, a really good humility about him yeah. in the work, which I think Absolutely. is so beneficial to be doing that type of work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I didn't mean a, to talk about evolutionary biology and the coronavirus so much, but you know what? We did it. We talked about it with Dr. Ackerman, so yeah. it's applicable. It is. Yeah. Brennan, who is our next guest? Do you remember? We haven't done it yet. Oh. <laughs> we talk about well-being and oh. what well-being is and how do we define it? Or do we define it? Do we? What's well-being to you? We'll leave you with that. And then you can listen to the episode and see if it uh, fits or not. That's right. Thanks for joining. Thanks for tuning in. It's been a good one, Brennan. It has been. Don't wear my shirt next time. Thank you. All right. See you, everyone. <laughs>